Hey, I wonder if we could just start by thanking God for all that he's doing in our church right now. Can we thank him? We're just seeing so much life change and so excited about it. Uh, to date, we've actually seen 2,598 people give their lives to Jesus and be baptized, like just, just right now to date, which is an incredible move of God. And, and I just wanna ask for our church, would you keep praying? Keep praying for revival. Keep praying for God to move, because that is really our goal here at CCV. Well, as we start a brand new series, I wanna, I wanna start with a, a question. I'm just curious, how many of you in the past year have done at least one home renovation project? Just put your hands in the air. One home renovation project. Statistically, 75% of us have. That's, that's the stats. In fact, when it comes to home improvement, um, the amount we spend on home improvement has doubled in the past 10 years. Did you know that? From just over $300 billion a year to now we spend $624 billion a year on just renovating our homes. Why? Because we're obsessed with our homes looking better, right? I mean, Jamie and I do things to our home. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you about one we just did we, uh, in the past year. We went and I was at Costco and I saw these light switches that are controlled by wirelessly which means you can take a switch in your house and just by telling Alexa, Alexa, turn off my lights, she does it. Which I'm thinking like, in the 21st century, I shouldn't have to get out of bed and turn off my own lights. I mean, what's that's crazy, right? So I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good. We have teenage daughters that leave the lights on all the time. And so I'm like, let's do this. So we did it and it sounded like awesome. The problem is they get disconnected a lot. So I'm spending probably more time reconnecting them to Wi-Fi than I am saving, money, saving time, like, you know, turn off the lights. But they look good. They look good. They look, look, look good for the house, right? And that's kind of what some of us are after. We're kind of after making our house look better and better and nicer and nicer and keeping up. And that's just kind of where a lot of us are. But what I want to start with today is I want to ask you what I think is a deep question. And I want you to just answer it honestly. What if your house keeps getting nicer and nicer, but your life inside your home doesn't? Isn't that where some of us are today? Like we would say this, we've never had this nice of a house in our lives, and yet our life inside the four walls of our home seems to be falling apart. Jesus, throughout scripture and in the New Testament, he would often use a house as an analogy for our lives. And what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna talk about how to renovate our own lives because the house that needs renovation, likely for most of us, is not our physical house, it's this house. It's this house, what's going on right now, and that's what we're gonna talk about in this series. And today, I wanna take you to a parable Jesus told where he used our lives as an analogy, or a house as an analogy for, for our lives. And what Jesus begins to tell us is he says, if you see cracks in your life, if there's cracks in your life, if things become unsettled or uneven, or life just seems to be falling apart, there's one place you need to start in your house. And it's not patching the walls, it's not adding new furniture, it's not getting a new kitchen. He says the place to start is with the foundation of your house. And I think that's funny because have you ever walked into someone's house and been like, hey, how's the foundation? Show me that. 
No, I mean, Jamie and I just went over recently to some friends of ours. They built a new house, and it's awesome. And we were with a group of people, and we walked in the house, and we're, we're just walking around the house, and we're like, whoa, your cabinets look awesome. This flooring, where did you get it? And your couch and the living room and the backyard is immaculate. And we're just, never once did I look at him and go, hey, how's the foundation of this house? We just don't do that, right? Leading up to this message, I just have to admit, I've done more research on home foundations than I would like to admit. I talked to our CCV general contractor that's built almost most of our buildings. Um, I talked to experts in the industry. I called one of the largest companies in Phoenix that does home foundation repairs. And while I was on the phone with them, here's what I asked them. How would I know if my foundation's failing and in need of repair? And here's what they said. There's three primary things to look for. One, you'll see cracks in the walls. Two, you'll see the floor become uneven and, and kind of almost warped. And three, doors and windows that used to open easily now will feel like they're closed shut and will be really hard to open. And I thought to myself, that's an amazing analogy for life in and of itself. If you see cracks in your life right now, if things feel uneasy or unsettled in your life, if doors that used to open easily for you are being slammed shut or being stuck shut financially or in your marriage, there's one place to start and it's with your foundation. That's exactly what Jesus says in a parable that we're gonna look at today. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn to Matthew chapter seven. We'll get there in just a moment. But before that, I just wanna set up this parable for you because I think when you read scripture, one of the most important things you can do is understand the context behind a, a passage of scripture you're reading. So when Jesus is gonna tell this parable in Matthew chapter seven, what was happening in Matthew chapter five and chapter six going into chapter seven is Jesus has just gotten done preaching the greatest message of all time. The best sermon ever preached, Jesus got done preaching, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it says when he got done, people were amazed, they loved it. It would be like you walking out of a CCV message and going like this, that's the best message I've ever heard. That was awesome. People walked out of Jesus' message and they're all just amazed. They're all in, here's what they're doing. They're nodding their heads. Yes, sir, that's awesome. I agree, probably got a lot of amens. Amen just means I agree. And before we get to Matthew chapter seven, the same parables in, in Luke chapter six, and, it, and Luke gives us a little clue into what Jesus' initial reaction when people were so amped up over the best message he ever gave. Luke six, six says this. Jesus says, why are you so polite with me? Why are you so polite? Why are you always saying, Yes, sir, that's right, Jesus, way to go. But never doing a thing I tell you. Parents, you ever been here before with your kids? <laughs> One of the most frustrating things as a parent is, you know, you go to your kids and you tell them what you want them to do and they look straight at you and they're like, oh, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, daddy, yes, mom, I will do that. And then they walk out and never do it. They never had an intention of doing it when they looked you in the face. Now, I would rather, as a parent, hear one of my kids say, no, I'm not gonna do it, than to say, yes, I love that, I'll do it, and then not do it at all, right? Am I the only parent that's gone through that with a kid? I mean, that's frustrating. 
This is where Jesus is with the church, with Christians in his day and age. He's like, why do you look me in the face and go, that's awesome. Great message, totally agree, and then decide, I'm not gonna do jack with that. And in response to that attitude, Jesus tells this one parable that I think most of us have misunderstood. Luke chapter seven, I'm gonna read it out of the message translation because I think this is so rich, starting in verse 24, it says this. Jesus says, these words, like you know this, this sermon I just gave you, these words I speak to you, they're not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Jesus says, this isn't like buying Wi-Fi switches. This isn't like putting in new furniture or redoing your kitchen. All that's optional. He goes on, he says, they are, say the bold out loud, they are, say it out loud, foundational. These words that I'm telling you are foundational. They're foundations. They're words to build a life on. And then he gives the example of two different builders. Builder one, if you work these into your word, these, you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit. Think about that. But nothing moved that house. It was fixed to a rock. Alternatively, builder too. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, like you come to church, you hear them, and you're like, that was an awesome message. You show up to your small group, and you're like, oh, man, those are good words right there. And you don't work them into your life. You're like a stupid carpenter. Other translations say you're an unwise carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I want to walk you through this parable today with three observations, really two observations and one main point. But I want to help you understand this parable at a deeper level to help you actually apply it to your life. Here's observation number one. Both people built a house. And in my opinion, in, in this parable, the houses probably looked almost identical. They were both awesome houses from the outside. So when you looked at them, they looked great. And what an analogy for our lives, because how many of you know that we can look at two different lives on social media, can I get an amen, and everything looks awesome. I mean, in today's day and age, we can project anything on social media and make it look great. Our house is in order and it's awesome. Hey, let me just be uh, personal myself. If you looked at my social media, it would not be a view of full reality. No one's is. In fact, a lot of us, we use social media as our gauge for what we want our house, our life to look like. Oh, their vacations. Man, why don't we take that vacation? Their house, look at their house. It's so immaculate. I want that house. Their marriage, their relationship, they probably never fight. <laughs> How many of you know that a house can look awesome on the outside and be a mess inside? Both builders built a house and the house on the outside looked awesome. How do we know how well a house is holding up? Number two, both people faced a storm. 
And when you read this parable, both of these builders of houses face the exact same storm, which means what? It doesn't matter who you are, every single one of us in life faces storms. Everyone. And this messes some Christians up because some of us who are Christians, we think, well, once I follow Jesus, I shouldn't have to ever experience a storm anymore. Why would I go through a storm? I have Jesus in my boat now. Well, I don't know. Let's think about this biblically, not emotionally. Uh, When the disciples had Jesus and they were following Jesus, did the disciples experience storms? They were in a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and a storm almost overwhelmed them. No one is immune to storms in marriage, in dating. Your spouse isn't talking to you. Things are going horribly financially. You just got a health diagnosis. You cannot believe this is happening. Something's happening with one of your kids. How? Everyone faces a storm. Both built a home. Both faced a storm. Here's the main idea from the message today. Storms will reveal the strength of the foundation you built your life on. When a storm hits, you get to see what have I built my life on and is it actually going to hold up under the storms of life? And while both people built a house and they experienced the same exact storm, one of them crashed and burned and one of them was strong as a rock. Jesus says it didn't even move in the midst of the worst storm. The only difference was the foundation they built their home on. And you probably heard this parable, and at some point, you're expecting at this point in the message, a preacher like me to stand up and say something super churchy like, well, that's, hey church, that's why you build your life on Jesus. Let's pray, right? And I'm just telling you, that's a great takeaway. That's not the point of this parable. And I think most of us have missed the point of this parable. In fact, if you would have asked me years ago to explain this parable in a summary form, I would have said this. One person followed Jesus, and they built their house on a rock, and the other person never decided to follow Jesus. They didn't even get baptized, and their life fell apart because they built it on sand. That's not what Jesus is saying. Did you know that? I'm going to show you in a moment that Jesus isn't talking about Christian and non-Christian He's talking to two people that both call themselves Christians, both call themselves followers of Jesus. Did you know that? Can I show it to you clearly? Let's go back to Luke chapter six in the New International Version. The very first word Jesus says, he just got him preaching the message. He looks at them, he says, why do all of you call me Lord, Lord? All of you have decided to make me Lord of your life. Now, what does Lord mean? Lord simply means master, person in charge, the one with all authority. In other words, it's someone that's made a decision at some point in their life that they're like, Jesus, I wanna make you Lord of my life. And Jesus says, I'm looking at those of you that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. And he says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But some of you do not do what I say. The difference between the two builders was not Christian and non-Christian. The difference was this. One person said they were a follower of Jesus, Lord, Lord, but then they did whatever they wanted in life, regardless of what Jesus said. The other one decided to apply God's word to their life. They put God's word into practice. That is the difference between the two builders. 
Do you see that? Which means Jesus is telling us there's really two types of Christians in this world. There's two. This is an oversimplification, but two types of Christians. One is there's people that hear God's word and even begin to study God's word. By the way, that's what we're doing right now. All of us are hearing God's word and we're studying it. We're trying to understand it. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is if that's all you do as a follower of Jesus, you've just built your life on sand. Sand. The second type of Christian is the person who does both those things, but then they go below the line and they apply it to their lives. They decide to not only hear the word and actually understand what it means, but then they walk out of church They walk out of a Bible study. They walk out of their personal time in God's word and they say, I'm going to apply that to my life today. And those are the people that are building their life on a rock. Now in America today, let me ask you this question. In America today, are most followers of Jesus living above the line or below the line? What do you think? You know the answer. And I believe this is what's wrong with Christianity and even what's wrong with the church today is we have a generation of believers that are living above the line. They hear God's word. They even love studying God's word, but they're not applying it to their life. And Jesus is saying that puts you on a foundation that when a storm hits, your life will start falling apart. And in in case you think I'm just talking to other people, I'm talking to myself. Can I just be really vulnerable today? I think there's times in my life that I live above the line. That I, your pastor, at times like hearing God's word. Are you kidding me? A guy like me, I love studying God's word like crazy. But I can forget to move below the line and apply it to my life because Let me ask this, what's easier to hear and study God's word or to apply it? What's harder? What's easier, what's harder? It is 10,000 million times harder to apply it. Let me ask it this way. Is it easier to study about love or to go love someone unconditionally? Oh, I'll study it. I wanna study the love chapter. Let's turn to Proverbs 31. Now, I'm not gonna do Jack, but let's study it, okay? It's way easier to study it. And what I know about myself is because I love studying God's word, I can use it as a distraction to applying God's word. I literally can be like this. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Oh, wow. I'm gonna study this thing. I'm just gonna study it like crazy. That is awesome. God's like, put it down and do it. This is important. Don't misunderstand. We have to understand God's word. But God's like, are you actually going to do it? And I just know in my own life, that can be a struggle for me. I mean, I'll take this parable, for example. Do you know what I could do with this parable? I could, I mean, I could just be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Did you know, church, did you know that in the original language in Greek, did you know the word Jesus used for stupid or unwise builder, did you know it's the word, the Greek word, moros? 
Did you know that? That foolish, the foolish builder, it actually is the Greek word moros. Did you know that? Now, when you hear the word moros, that's where we get the English word what? Moron. That's right. Isn't, and some of you are like, dude, that is so cool. I didn't know that. That is awesome. I learned a new Greek word in church. Now, if that was your takeaway, you would be the moron. I would be the moron, okay? Now, that's not me. That's what Jesus said. Don't, tell, don't, don't take that as me telling you you're a moron. Jesus called you a moron. Let's go back to the passage, remember? Matthew chapter 7. But if you use my words in Bible studies, you walk out of church and you're like, you go to your Bible study and you're like, hey, did you know foolish is the Greek word moros, which is where we get moron? And they're like, dude, you're so smart. You're so spiritual. You're like the deepest Christian I know. Jesus says, if that's what you do and you don't work them into your life, in other words, you don't start applying God's word to your life, you are like a stupid carpenter, a moron who built his life on the sandy beach. Does that convict anybody else? I'm like, I have to apply God's word. And honestly, some of us here today, we're just on an, we are addicted to information. We read the news, we're, in, like, we're, we're just addicted to information. And what you have to understand, what Jesus is telling us, is information does not actually equal transformation. Uh, transformation. Did you know that? We know that to be true because in scripture, in Jesus's day, who in Jesus's day knew the most about the Bible? Who was it? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The people who knew the Bible inside and out. Do you know that word fool, moron, do you know who Jesus called a moron, a fool, more than anyone else in the entire New Testament? The Pharisees. The people who knew the most, had the most information, Jesus says you're the biggest morons because you're not applying it to your life, which means information does not equal transformation. What does? Application equals transformation. And that is why as a church, we are gonna teach you God's word, but we're always gonna lean in the direction of challenging you to apply it because that's what transforms your life is application. Let me say it this way. Someone needs to write this down. Success in life is 100% dependent on you bridging the gap between what I know and what I do. Your success is bridging that gap. I know what to do, Am I actually doing it? And I'll say it this boldly. I believe most Christians are educated beyond their level of obedience. And the church has to wake up. We have to be focused on actually living out God's word, not just information gathering. Hey, for, forget your spiritual life for just a second. Forget your spiritual life. How many of you right now know you should be eating better and exercising more? How many of you know it? We all know it. Did you know there's more information in the world today about eating right and exercising than at any moment in human history? And can I show you what's happening in America today with obesity rates? It's skyrocketed. It's higher than it's ever been and it's projected to only get worse which means what? We 
are overweight on information and we're starving on application. Information is not the end all be all unless you're getting information so you can apply it to your lives. That's why we teach for application because that was Jesus's model. Um, Years ago, McDonald's, they went out and surveyed all their customers, all their customers at McDonald's and they said this, what is the one thing on the menu we're not giving you? Like if you could pick one thing to add to our McDonald's menu, what would you add? And the overwhelming response, there wasn't even a close second, was people said this, we just want you to put a healthy cheeseburger on the menu. (laughs) That was the number one response. So you know what McDonald's did? They did it. They hired actually a bunch of scientists and they created the McLean Deluxe. 91% fat free, but 100% delicious. How many of you honestly, and be honest about this, how many of you honestly remember the McLean Deluxe? There's very few hands. You want to know why? It bombed. In the early 2000s, they killed it off the menu. You want to know why? Because no one ordered it. Here's what, here's what everyone said at McDonald's. I really want to eat a healthy hamburger. And then they showed up at the counter, and McDonald's is like, hey, welcome to McDonald's. We have this brand new McLean Deluxe that you asked for. Would you like to order it? Oh, I think I'm going to go with the uh, triple extra cheese like uh, (laughs) Big Mac, please. And this is a picture of the church. It's a picture of a lot of us that are Christians. We know what we're supposed to do we're not doing it. We become bloated on information and we're malnourished on application. Success in life is 100% dependent on bridging the gap between what I know and what I do. And I believe Jesus is calling the church here today in America and specifically in Phoenix, Arizona, to get beyond just your information and move to applying this to your life. Let me ask, how much of God's word are you applying to your life right now? Like what you already know. And can I, um, can I get up in your grill a little bit? A lot of us will apply God's word when we feel it. Like, we're like this, we're like, when I feel it, I do it. But if I don't feel it, I can't do it because my feelings, my heart says not to do it. (laughs) Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful in your life than your feelings. And I think we have a generation of Christians today that are driven by your emotions and your feelings, not by God's word. Can I get an amen on that? Like we have a generation that's driven by your emotions. And you're like, if I feel it, I'll do it. No, you do it in spite of your feelings. Your feelings are not facts. God's word is the fact. So we bend not to our feelings, but to God's word. So what does that mean? What God says sexually. I'm gonna follow God's word sexually if my heart says to do it or not. What God says financially. 
I'm gonna follow God's word with generosity and giving no matter how much it scares me, no matter how much fear I have. I'm gonna trust God. I'm not led by my feelings. I'm led by the foundation of God's word. That's what allows me to thrive in life. What God says about forgiveness, so many of us, oh, we don't wanna forgive. They hurt us too bad. No, I am called to forgive whether I feel like it or not. How about this one? What God says morally I follow what God says, not what my culture around me is telling me. Which means this, if in Genesis chapter one and Jesus in Matthew chapter nine said that God created them male and female, that's God's word, which means my gender doesn't get to be fluid. I don't get to decide what I get to do, right? Now listen. Here, here's why. Here's why. It's not because I feel that. It's because God says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I knit you together. God says, I created you, so I am the one that gets to define you, not your feelings or your identity that you think or feel in your own heart. I define you. Culture doesn't define you. And no one else gets to define you. That's what God's word says. So listen, do you see what's at stake in our world today if we don't hold to applying God's word versus just listening to our own feelings? What's at stake in your marriage with your kids, in our society, and gosh, in our schools God's calling a generation of Christians to wake up and say, you've got to apply my word. That's the only way you'll have a foundation for your life. And it's this point in the message that here's what some of you are starting to think. Oh, I'm gonna send this message to them. <laughs> they need it, and he needs it. She needs it. The person next to me needs it. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Like you. I'm not talking to anybody else but you, and I'm talking to me. Not where do they need to start applying God's word, where do you need to start applying God's word to your life? And can I pry? Can I pry in your life? What God says sexually, are you following that? Like, are you, are you sleeping around and you've, you've just kind of made up in your mind that it's okay for sex to be outside of a marriage or do whatever I want or maybe I can have a little something going on on the side? Are you dating someone that you know is not equally yoked with you right now? Have you introduced pornography and it's such a problem now that you, you can't get beyond it and it's an addiction and you actually need to get help but you just stay in the dark? Financially, are you generous? Like every single time you get paid, is God first? Because God can't bless any area of your life that he's not first. That's why he talks about it so much. Hey, what, you know, a lot of us know we're, we, we should get into God's word every day and pray and have a regular you know, devotion life. Are you doing that? You're like, well, no, I'm too busy. No, you're not, that's bull. You're not. 
In fact, most of us, if we cut our social media and Netflix consumption in half, we get through the whole Bible in one month. <laughs> Are you serving somewhere? Are you using your gifts for something bigger than you? Why haven't you taken that step? Parents, are your kids and students going to camp this summer? There is no greater life change environment for your kids and students than a week of camp. And some of you are like, well, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, we're busy, we're taking a vacation, they have a sports camp, they don't wanna go. If I was a parent, oh, by the way, I am a parent, there's nothing that would be an excuse that would keep my kids away from camp. And for our high school and junior high camps, get them signed up for camp. And you're like, finances are an issue, we have scholarships and financial aid that is so easy to take advantage of, there's no excuse. I'm just gonna ask you today, what is one area of your life where you need to apply God's word so you can build your life on a foundation that will last, that will withstand any storm. And here's why this is so important. I'm gonna make a prediction that is 100% true. A storm's coming for you. None of us are immune from storms. I'm not immune from storms. You will face a storm. The best time to build a foundation that will withstand the storm is before the storm. And if you're in the middle of a storm and things feel like they're falling apart, it just means that you have not built your life on the foundation of God's word and his truth in your life. So where do you need to apply God's word today? And I wanna give you a chance to apply this message, not to hear this message. And the way I wanna do that is I've invited our bands to come sing one last song and it's a song that was written based on the parable we just walked through, that Christ is our firm foundation, a rock that stands. And during this song, I'm just gonna ask you to answer one question. God, what are you telling me? Where do I need to get radical in my obedience so I can experience your blessing and the foundation of your word? Let's sing this together and you let God speak to you, okay? And I'm gonna come close this out with a few words. Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down So why would he fail now? He won't. No matter what the season, I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under, no. I'm not happy. He's there. 
Never fails, never gives up. These bridge lyrics, sing them in faith over your life tonight. Come on. The rain came, wind blew, but my house was built on you. And I'm safe with you. I'm gonna make it through. Yes, you are. just a minute. Christ is the only foundation to build your life on, but not just being hearers of his word. As James said, we're, we're doing what he says. And I would just issue this challenge as we close out today. Whatever God's telling you to do right now, and you know what it is, your next step is just a simple act of obedience. And for some of you, it'll be radical obedience. But remember, the only way to have a foundation that lasts through the storms of life is obedience to God's word. And I wanna pray right now that whatever God's telling you, you would walk out and put it into practice, amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I know backstage, I just felt like you, you gave me something that you want me to apply, and I'm gonna be radical in doing that. And I pray for every person here that you're, you're speaking into their life something it might be something sexual, it might be something financial, it might be something relational, it might be something that they just know they, they're doing morally that is on the side, it's maybe in the dark, and I just pray they get help. I pray they bring it to the light, they ask for help. And God, let's just, let's just acknowledge right now, Father, that if we wanna withstand the storms of life, the only way to, to do it is to build our life on the foundation of obedience to who you say we are and your word. And I pray that we would just be a radically obedient people that walk out and live this life for you, for our families and our kids and our communities. And I pray all this in Jesus' name and all this said, amen, amen. Hey, before you leave, let me just tell you one more time. Parents, this is the URL for camps, ccv.church camps. Get your kids to camp, all right? We'll continue this series next week. Until then, 
Let's go be obedient. CCCV.